0: Ready?
1: Because it's that time again Sigma
0: Matt Whoa, new jingle. Thank you very much indeed to Perry App Gwyneth for that music. Now, that's easily, in my opinion, the most professional element of this podcast. And welcome to Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged. And today I'm talking to an Australian bloke, who was once considered a super domestique, now considered the super sporting director of Mitchelton Scott. But I consider him simply a super bloke, and I'm talking about Mr. Matt Whitey White. We'll have another Ask Matt session, and I've found something to replace the grand tours in my life. We've all become more aware of our daily exercise routine and trying to keep track of our fitness and performance on the bike over the last few weeks. And one of the best ways to do that is getting your hands on a decent GPS bike computer. Well, now is a great time to do it because the folks at Sigma Sports have teamed up with Wahoo to give you a £25 cashback when you purchase a new Wahoo Element Bolt in the month of May. All you need to do is head to sigmasports.com forward slash podcast where you can find all the details on our latest offers. I'm going to be honest with you now, as we head into Ask Matt. I, I am attired in nothing but a pair of rolled-up uh, jogging bottoms with Star Wars printed on them because it's so hot in my loft. But that's that's life. That's life in lockdown. I'm not going to send you a picture because a lot of you would unsubscribe immediately. Anyway, it's time for Ask Matt. This is where you submit your random are we we recorded great stuff it's time for ask matt this is where you submit your random questions to sigma sports social media channels using the hashtag write this down hashtag ask matt you can use a capital a or m it'll still actually recognize even if you use lowercase and i answer them as usual these are all previously unseen so i'm literally haven't seen them uh i'm scrolling now with my fingers I'm using the trackpad using two fingers on my MacBook Pro from 2012. Here we go. First up, it's Paul Nicholson at Paul N5047. Um, obviously got that tagged up sort of years ago when people used numbers. Uh, ask Matt if you could ride any stage of a any tour or classic in history, what one would you pick and why? Ooh. That's a good one. Um I've got to think think on the feet here, haven't I? I would say I'd have loved to have ridden because it's so important in kind of my the genesis of me kind of becoming a, a bike rider and then turning pro. I'd have loved to have ridden the 1986 Tour de France stage that finished on Alpe d'Huez, where Greg Lemond and uh, Bernard Hinault rode away from the rest of the field, and um, and it was there was there wasn't really a truce. It was an uneasy truth, of course. It, there was this real. Infighting between Le Monde and Hino in that particular tour which is obviously very very famous but I think it was such an iconic stage and the images of those two riders uh, riding up out to where's one in the yellow jersey and one in the combine jersey um, are some of the most in, you know, I don't know um, endearing and um, and long lived images of the Tour de France. And the fact that I was there watching it um, as a kid and that inspired me to ride my bike means that that is what I would have loved to have ridden. I and mean, there's lots of other epic stages and all of the Grand Tours that would have been great to get involved in, but that would be the one for me. 1986, Alpe d'Huez, Tour de France. Next up, Paul Socket at Paul Socket One, with two Ts at the end. It's so not the kind of socket you put things in, a different sort of socket. Do you agree they should make cycling jerseys in the next round of the Great British Sewing Bee? Not seen the programme, but I have seen the trailer. And what a trailer it is. Um, I will probably endeavour to watch it, but yeah, why not? I think... Um, I think these days we should just, just go for it, basically, in terms of sewing different sorts of things. The first thing I ever sewed, because I took up cookery and needlework at school, didn't do metalwork and woodwork, just fancied uh, a bit of time in the kitchen, fancied a bit of uh, a bit of stitching stuff, knitting even. Um, I knitted a bag with ET on the side uh, in 1981. Brilliant stuff. Uh, next up is, did I answer the question? Yes, I did. Stephen Smith is next, at Stephen underscore Dundee. What color socks am I wearing? Blue yellow or pink. I think you're wearing pink socks. Uh, it just feels right. Uh, next up is the French Tickler, a real regular, uh, who in, interacts with me on Twitter and other social media platforms, um, at Cox Astrutter. Never, I've never read that out loud. Um, have you tried the Cheetos Twisters yet? No, I haven't. But I went to Poundland the other day and got a eight-pack of regular Cheetos. And uh, on what in one sitting, watching Breaking Bad, I, I ate four bags. But then I did look Look back at the side of the packet and they're only 14 grams. It's not much at all, really. But uh, I've not tried just uh, Cheeto Twisters, but when they go on offer and they're like six for a pound, I'll, I'll, I'll tuck in. Julian Long asked Matt Kenny's top five peas. Uh, mushy-eyed wager must be up there. Uh, I don't know. Um, I only know the bloke kind of randomly, but I think it's got to be Patrick's peas because obviously he has to endorse them. He's contractually obliged to to eat those peas and to advertise them, so it's going to be Patrick's peas. Uh, The other four, I just do not know. Uh, Lieutenant Dan, penultimate question. If you had to paint a self-portrait with any condiment, what would it be and why? (laughs) Uh, I would paint a self-portrait with a whisk. Oh no, that's not a condiment. That's not a condiment, is it?
1: That's a thing that's like
0: a utensil sorry so if i had to paint myself a with any condiment it would be chili sauce next up and finally thank goodness is the utoxa otter if you had the world's attention for 30 seconds what would you say um firstly to break the ice i'd offer some snacks around then once they were chomping on their snacks uh, i'd just say be kind to everybody and and love each uh, and love each other really it's kind of peace and love kind of thing but with snacks
1: Don't forget, you can interact with me
0: if you so wish using the hashtag AskMatt. Um, Punt across to Sigma Sports on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and punt across to me, at Royal Stevens, on Instagram and Twitter, but I guess Twitter's the best one to use. It's easier to interact with this sort of thing. Matt White was a formidable bike rider around the turn of the century. In fact, we rode together at the Giro d'Italia when he was a super domestique for Francesco Casagrande, narrowly missing out on winning the general classification that year. Nowadays, he plies his trade as Sporting Director for Mitchelton-Scott and has grown a reputation for being one of the most approachable and generous personalities in the sport. Well, Matt, um, great to have you along. Um, yeah, it's been we were chatting the other day, weren't we, for a Zwift thing, but um, we're still in this kind of virtual no-man's land, mate. But, but generally speaking, before we start chatting, can you tell everybody who's going to be listening where you are and what you can see in the room that you're in? for us please
2: (laughs) okay so I am uh, in a small town about 70 kilometers south of Valencia in Spain and I am in my bedroom because I thought this is one of the quietest parts of the house away from my children and it has the better internet and what I can see I can see books a flower uh, my bed and a fan
0: Good stuff mate. That's that's very nice. It's just nice to uh, set the scene so viewers and well not viewers, listeners can almost like be with us if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I can see some
2: palm trees waving in uh, in the in the out in this in the main street in front of me. It's quite a windy oh, day down here today. Lovely. Uh, it was raining this morning, but it's going it should be better weather this afternoon.
0: And of course you guys you're in lockdown for before us in – well, obviously, I'm in the UK, but you you guys have been in lockdown for longer. But you can now get out and ride. That must have been a massive relief.
2: Uh, yes and no. So, we were seven weeks we couldn't leave the house unless it was for going to the shops or the, uh, going to the shops, specifically supermarket or pharmacy. Yeah. As of a week ago, uh, we could take the children, which I've got three of, we take the children out in certain windows for exercise, uh, which was great. And then I can – now in Spain, uh, the lockdown has gone into different phases and it depending it depends on where you live and depends on – they've all broken up into regional areas and also availability to hospitals. So yeah. I'm in a region which is uh, has very few uh, infections. So I, my region has moved into phase one, but seven kilometres north of me all the way to Valencia – is still in phase zero so actually right. i can only ride in my municipality which uh it's okay but it's not uh it's not ideal at the moment but look I, anyway i can go for a run now uh, i can go yeah. for a small ride and i'm still under the home trainer a bit so it, it's better than what it was that's for sure
0: but for so matt i mean from you know you're, you're the the senior um manager uh, a sports director at 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 Milton scott and and these are completely and utterly unprecedented time. so so how so, so what are you doing with yourself in terms of you know keeping morale high with the team and, and what actually is your role been over the last few weeks because we've we've not been we've not ever experienced anything quite like this have we ever
2: no we haven't we haven't and so my role uh, has really been to take a back seat for the moment um I think once that initial phase when we didn't actually know when competition was going to resume or we didn't know how bad the infection the virus was going to affect everyone in Europe that first couple of weeks in March, it was still about really keeping guys positive and, look, this, this is, maybe this is going to pass soon. We, you know, our goals have just been reset maybe a month and it was sort of all about, yeah, you know, let's just think about the short term. Let's stay focused until we know a better lay of the land. Yeah. Once that lay of the land eventually hit us, and we went into full lockdown and, you know, in Spain, where a thousand people a day were dying and, and no one could move from their houses and there was no sign of any races, you know, the, the Giro and the Tour and all those races got put off. I really have taken a back seat. So the, the people who are having the real – I communicate with the athletes and the coaching staff and that sort of stuff. And, I'm, and more recently in the last week, it's become a bit busier. Now we've got actually a calendar to plan towards. Yeah. But sort of that, that six-week window – you know, there were some things, like I said, involved with yourself, with the, with the Swift racing, we've done some Ruby racing. I've made contact with all the guys. Um, yeah. But we really – my role is I let the guys just be at peace. Let the guys do what they – everyone's reacting differently and reacted differently in that lockdown. You know, some guys are locked up with their wives or their girlfriends, which is a good or a bad thing. Um, then we've got yeah. some guys, some young guys who have been – had seven weeks in their apartment on their own, like, you know, young Australians or young guys. Stuck at home, stuck in a foreign country in an apartment for seven weeks without being able to move. So everyone's handled the lockdown a little bit differently. Some guys have really wanted to stay pretty focused in that period with their training. Some guys really wanted to switch off, knowing that they weren't going to come back to racing for three months' time. So it, yeah. it's only now that I'm starting to get back st- stuck back into things and and uh, and work on a plan for the remainder of whatever season Mark Two looks like.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, looking at, I mean, it's uh, we still. Are in a, a position where we don't really know what's going to happen, but thank goodness we have got some sort of race program. Whether that happens or not, um, or elements of it do and some don't, we still don't know. But at least you've got some kind of structure to kind of work towards. But I guess the, the big question for me, g- given the fact that um, over the last couple of years you're primarily a, a team that's you know, targeting the Grand Tours, well, what, do, what 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 are you? What's your focus now with the with the obviously you've got the Tour and then you've got the Vuelta overlapping with the Giro? That's a massive headache, isn't it?
2: It, it's certainly going to it's certainly going to test the depth of teams <laughs> yeah uh, that's for sure and w- we ha- we haven't re- finalized what our focus is going to be but we'll definitely be hitting those races with GC riders uh yeah. it, it, what what the team final makeup looks like we'll see but it's it's certainly going to test because i think i i really believe that most teams will send their their crack squads to the tour and i don't see too many teams have the availability or the depth to to wait for the Giro, I think the Welter. We you could see a very, very competitive field at the Welter this year because the Welter still has that four-week window that you can yeah. recover from yeah. the Tour to the Welter, whereas you know the Giro, the Giro Tour window is not not a viable one this year with only two weeks with the World Championships in between. Sure. So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting that the fields we see on the start list. But I expect to see the the most competitive Tour de France in modern time. I think I don't think there'll be too many favourites. I think Nibbly. Carapaz and Fools are confirmed for the Giro, yeah. and I haven't heard any other leaders confirmed for the Giro at, as we stand at the moment.
0: Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be fascinating, isn't it? And especially the last. If Milan-San Remo goes a, goes ahead, that's going to be stacked. Tour of Poland are going to have the best field they've ever had as well, aren't they? Heading in uh, Heading in towards the Tour de France, but um, I mean, there are some points. I mean, there's three or four points during the season where. The world tour teams are going to be obliged to field a triple program, and I mean, I know we want to. Everybody wants to try and get as much racing as they can. But from from your perspective, um, that's a headache on, from a logistical perspective. But what it what it is going to do is give riders that might not not necessarily have starts in grand tours an opportunity for the very first time, and also maybe to to give new leadership to riders that have never had that opportunity in very very big races.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I think. Those those couple of opportunities where there is uh, three 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 string programs, uh, one I'd be very surprised if they eventuate, and two if they do, I I, th- I think it's a positive because if they do exist, a lot of them, yeah, they, whether the, the Guangxi window is still there or the Tour of Britain window is still there or the Canada's window is still there, they're they races that are they can, they can it can be worked around, and I do I do see a positive in giving younger guys and and guys. Other guys' leadership in in what, what our world tour races.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I know. I was looking at the news today. They, I believe the Tour of Britain has actually been cancelled. That's that's official today. They've actually put, well, postponed uh, the the Tour of Britain. And actually, super topical. I, I see on uh, there's there's rumours that Chris Froome might be is talking to other teams as well. That's quite interesting bit of news, isn't it? Um, that just shows how important the Tour de France is to him. Without, um, I just saw that bit of news just pop up on my feed.
2: Yeah right. Well, I suppose <laughs> it's, it's it's business, and and he will also be looking. You know, he's coming into the twilight of his career. Bernal's coming into the prime of his career. You Know does yeah. You know, if he, if he wants to win, you know, continue continue winning after this year, which I'm sure he does. Maybe maybe Ineos is not the right team for him. Maybe yeah. it's it's too stacked. You know, you got a uh, Carapatz coming through as well, who's 26 years of age. So yeah, it's interesting where where he'll uh, he'll finally end up for next year. But I, I think if if the the situation this year is it certainly helped Chris Froome. I think uh, if we we're racing the Tour de France in July, I, I don't think Chris Froome will be at his best by July. Uh, you know, the, the guy hasn't raced for coming up to in four weeks' time. He hasn't raced for a year. Yeah, uh, and he hasn't done a Grand Tour for two. Uh, but I, I, I if I if I could put my predictors hat on now, I, I think I would put him down as the favourite for the welter. Yeah, I think I think the, the the tour will do him the world of good, and I I think he's he'll be a man on a mission, uh, regardless of what happens at the tour to to win the welter.
0: Yeah, I mean, talking about the tours, and um, now of course is the the Giro should be running, and it's it, it's kind of strange, isn't it? There's lots of uh, I know the Giro are running a virtual kind of Giro at, at the moment, and um, uh, there's a few podcasts doing a daily a daily kind of Giro kind of fictional kind of roundup. I mean, it's um it's a it's it's strange, isn't it, to be uh, to just be sat at home with not the Jura going on around us. And, and it's and, and looking back over the years, it's a race that me and you rode together back in 2000. Um, and it's um you, you've got fond memories of the Jura, haven't you?
2: I do, I do. And I think out of the last 20 years, I've only missed four uh, uh, wow. since since 98. I think I've missed four or five in 22 years. My first year I was 98 and. Oh, I love the race, and for me, the month of the month of May is Italy, uh, and I've spent so much time there and and had a lot of success and a lot of really po- really fond memories from that race. And uh, it does it does feel strange. I, I sort of I'm in the mindset now. I don't sort of it doesn't feel like anything to me. It doesn't feel like March or April or May. Yeah, I know the journey should be going on, but because I haven't. I've been such a, such a routine over the last 20 years of, of, you know, in March I'm in Toronto and in April I'm in either the Flemish or the, Bel- or the, the, the Ardennes, and but I haven't done anything since February. So yes. it's like I don't know where I am in the, in the calendar. <laughs> I'm looking out the weather, window looking for weather to give me an indication, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great, beautiful race and uh, fingers crossed we can have a, an addition in October.
1: I mean,
0: what's your, going back to, let's go back in time a little bit, mate, because it's where our paths have crossed. Our paths cross nowadays because, you know, of, of me being involved in TV on, on races and pretty much on a daily basis having to stick a microphone under your nose and you always give us the most, uh, probably the, the best bang for our buck. But um, thinking back to 2000, how much of that Giro do you remember? Because obviously you were you you were riding with with Vinnie Calderola, uh, Francesco Casa Grande's team and he was in the pink jersey pretty much for the vast majority of the race just until the final time trial so do you remember much of that event of that
2: oh, I do I do uh, <laughs> I've, I've, I've blocked a lot of it out uh so the background there so I, I ended up contracting glandular fever in 1999 in around about August and wow I didn't know I, that yeah so I got, I got onto it quite quickly which was good and so I shut my season down in August so I didn't ride the Worlds or any of the or any of the Italian races in, in in August September. So I had a big break off the bike, really conservative build up through the winter or Australian summer. Came back and my first race was Nice. So I didn't race from August till March. And then, you know, cycling back then, as you remember, Matt, it wasn't so scientific. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have a coach. Uh, in those, those professional teams, you didn't have coaches. In The vast majority of teams didn't have coaches. No, I didn't have a coach, no. No, I, I, I had gone through the uh, using SRMs uh, at the Australian Institute of Sport but didn't have an SRM when I moved on to professional. So it was basically like we were training off heart rate and feel. Yeah. And I remember when I started back racing in March – no, I struggled a little bit in March, and then got a bit of a wriggle on in April. And the team, because I was a, I was a real gypsy, I was I was one of three foreigners in a, in an Italian team there. And now my 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 partner at the time was living in Australia. I was just living in an apartment on my own in Italy. And so I remember going up to um, pre Giro. I was always planning on doing the Giro that year because uh, I, I I we we had our, we were putting our crack team in to win with Grande. So yeah, my build up was sort of was Parinice, then we'll see how you go. So Parinice well, I struggled through Parinice, got better by the end, rode Milan, San Remo, and then then they sent me up to the classics. Now, I did the Flemish classics, uh, and I was in the breakaway in Roubaix that we got up, caught after the Forest of Arenberg. Then they thought it would be a great idea then to send me straight to the Ardennes. God. So <laughs> I, went, I went straight to the Ardennes. I was in the break in Flesh Malone uh, with Martin Van... Uh, oh, what's his name? Van Vance. Van Steen. Uh, Martin yeah, Van Steen, Van, wasn't it? Yeah. Martin Van Steen in, Fle- yeah. in Flesh of Alone. Then I was in the breakaway again uh, in Liège-Bastille-Liège, which Francesco ended up running second in. And uh, then I went straight to Romandy.
0: So I was, there as, I was there as well, mate. I was there so, as well.
2: So I had a, a very busy program, let's say, running into the Giro. Yeah. So, but uh, so I did Romandy. So had three days, three days off. Then you go off to the Giro on Thursday, and then you're away. That's right. So we started the Giro, and as you remember, Casagrande was a guy who liked to ride up near the front of the bunch. Yeah. Uh, he didn't like. He wasn't as relaxed as old Marco Pantani. And uh, my role was I was one of the bigger guys in, in our team, and so my role was obviously, especially on the flatter stages, to make sure he was riding in that first ten, that bubble, really yep. the whole time, which is a pretty. It's not an easy. Uh, not an easy no, job. No, no. And the oh. other one is Francesco. Uh, he didn't carry two water bottles. He would only run with one water bottle cage. Oh, right. I never knew that. So That's, that, yeah. <laughs> that, and in t- 20 years ago, we didn't have bottle points. We had a feed zone and that was it. Yeah. Uh, so there, let's just say there was multiple trips per day going back to the car that involved getting your team leader fresh bottles. We took the jersey somewhere in the first week uh, with a win on Abertony. And yeah, like you said, we kept the jersey up until the penultimate stage uh, to the time trial over Montgenevre and And yeah, that, back then I was on a pretty basic sort of a wage, but the 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 team had really big bonuses if we mm. won the Giro. Right. And so I'd got I'd gone very very deep from March through to April, all the way through the Giro. And you know, the, the last five days of the of the Giro, I really don't remember much. All I remember. <laughs> I all, all I do, it, I have blanked it out of my, my memory, and all I do remember is I was one of the first riders off in that time trial yep. from uh, from uh, Briançon. Got went up to the camper, finished the TT, got to the camper van. We had a we had nearly a minute lead uh, going into that TT, and Francesco hadn't been dropped on any climb in the whole race. And basically, that time trial was two climbs: Briançon up Mont descend, and then up up Sestriere. So, with a 50-second lead, I was like, well, we've got this shot to pieces. You know, my Giro was finished. I remember getting into my team tracksuit, parking myself in a – we didn't have a television in the camper van with no buses for small teams back in 2000. No. Parked myself in a coffee shop and proceeded with uh, 100 other people to watch the Giro. Came in there and uh, I was getting some pizza and a coffee there and I looked up now first time check and it came up on the television and Francesco – it was – his first time check at the top of Montgenevre was more than a hundredth place, and I Jesus. and, and I, I, said, no, I was I was just, I was no this is no they've made a mistake you know how, how can the the and he ended up winning the King of the Mountain Jer- the climbers jersey how can the best yeah. climber in the race be a hundredth of the t- first time check after a climb and I was they were right and I, I just remember there watching him just lose more time lose his time on on Sestria. And and the, and the Giro d'Italia f- falling uh, falling out of our grasp in the last, you know, basically the last 20 kilometers of what was a hell of a month. And I, I, I it brought me to tears. I remember sitting there just thinking, I've just lost all that bonus. I decided not to go to the Tour de France to do the Giro because this, this was our big race for the team. And I, I, was, yeah. I was devastated. And, Jeez. you know, Italians being Italians – uh, I remember the I remember the the car drive from Sestria down to Torino where we're going to start the last stage and yeah, yeah our head sports director got fired there was yeah you know, you can you imagine five oh Italians God. in a there was five <laughs> Italians in a van ranting and raving and uh, accusing people of making mistakes here and there the head director got cancelled fired before the last stage uh, it was yeah and None. that's when that's when having Italian not as your first language was was a benefit I tried to switch off as good as I could. Uh, yeah it was it was, a, it was a weird old finish to that
0: race yeah I mean it was a massive massive surprise I mean uh, but I, I didn't realise that, that the, the ramifications were that serious That that's incredible mate that's I mean you say you were um, I mean just to spin off from that you say you were well quite you were devastated quite quite clearly I mean you removed to tears obviously no bonus and the fact you'd been part of a grand tour winning team as a ride is a pretty amazing thing but you, you're quite an emotional bloke mate and, and I I, I really, I don't know whether I admire that or not. I, just, I just like it, and then, and because looking at some of the in-car footage from from recent years, and and you've you the team that you've presided over for the last few seasons, mate, has had you know a fair degree of, of big success. I mean, just just tell us what what it's like when one of your riders you know, takes a big victory. I mean, because you are you you, you don't mind expressing yourself emotionally, and whereas a lot a lot a lot, are, a lot it's, we still live. And we still exist in a very alpha kind of dominated sport, don't we? And f- for many, many reasons. But it's just really good to see that pure emotion. I mean, um, what? Why is that? Have you always been quite an, an overtly emotional kind of guy?
2: Yeah, I, I think. I think in this role, uh, I, I really believe it's important that people see see who you are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're asking. You're asking a lot from guys, and I think. You can, to have a real connection I think you've got to be you've got to be real as well and yeah I, I do put I have put a lot I do put a lot into my job I really love my job I love, I love working with the guys I work with and and I know how much they make sacrifices we all make sacrifices uh and, and I, th- I think the guys when I, when I have to turn the switch and, and motivate guys people yeah people like they know they they know what they get from me now they know that if if they know they can see when it's important. And I think you've got to know as a sports director when to have the on and the off switch. I think you can't be intense all the time. I think you've, you've got to you – know, we're on the road a hell of a lot of time and I think the guys yeah. have got to enjoy the environment that they're in. And I suppose that's, that's my responsibility, to create an environment and a culture where the guys can – okay, well, this, is, this, is, you know, this is downtime and we can have fun and take the piss and muck, and muck around, but yep. know when it's time to switch on. And yeah. I think I think we've got it pretty down pat at, at our team. And uh, and yeah, I am I am I am who I am. And I think that I suppose last year, you know, I got very excited with we wins. You know, uh, you know when when we won our first monument in when in uh, Milan San Remo back in two thousand and twelve to to stage wins of the tour. And I suppose last year, and we we've had some we've had some a lot of ups, and but we also had some we big, big downs as well. And yeah, I, I don't I don't think that hurts to the guys to see that. See that you heard as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think. When, when you when you've got a good connection with the riders and your team and 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 also it's not just the riders on the team when you have it's, it's about the whole cohesive unit of the squad everybody you know um pulling in the same direction when when you see the amount of sacrifice that's there especially in pro cycling you know the, the amount of sacrifice in relation to hurting yourself out training um but i think the biggest sacrifice is time away from your families and when you see what guys invest and when you f- so suddenly see the fruits of that success it's very powerful isn't it
2: it is, it is, and also just managing that group around me as well is, is I'm not a micromanager, uh, and I have I have people with me who have been with me that whole journey as my career as a sport director. So there's people that have been with me for 12 years. So when you've got people that you trust and you enjoy working with, then the, if they're responsible, I'm responsible for, for a certain role. The riders are responsible for a certain role, and same with the staff. If you've got people in, in key roles in mechanics or Swannies or doctors or whatever that you trust and you can have and you have faith in, well then that's something something less you have to worry about. I don't want to be yeah. yeah is the doctor doing a good job? Are the mechanics looking after the bikes correctly? Are the Swannies doing a proper job? If 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 you've got those sort of people and you've got to check on them, well I think that yeah, we're such a when you're on the road it's such a busy environment. You can't afford to be micromanaging people. And and I work with people, I don't work above people and I think people yeah. people like that 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 role.
0: I mean, when you when you look at the team, I mean, um, when you're around the team, it's a it's a good team to hang around with, and I think pretty much all the journalists and everybody around bike racing um, openly says that it's um, the environment on the team uh, is means just helps foster that success. Everybody um, everybody kind of works for each other, and, and there's a really lovely spirit in the team. And just with with, with that in mind, and, and looking at the success and the difficult times you've had over the over the years, uh, and the bad luck, w- what has been the the victory? Um, that has meant the, the most to you um, over the last few years of presiding over Mitchelton Scott in, in its various iterations. What, what's been the one that has really thought that's made you think, wow, th- this is it? We we're kind of here now. <sighs> I, I think I th-
2: there's been a few. There's been a few. Yeah. I, I think early on, early on, I think uh, the team's time trial win at the Tour de France in uh, in Nice in 2013. Yeah, uh, it's it's a, such a lovely. Event to win as a team, the team's time trial, and you know, and the, the benefit of that win, it put Simon Gerrans in the yellow jersey as well. So it was uh, yeah, we weren't a Mickey Mouse team. We obviously, you are already in two thousand and twelve. We'd already won Milan San Remo and and some great races. Uh, but two thousand and thirteen to go two days in a row in the Tour de France, winning stages and to put to put uh, Simon and Daryl Limpi into the yellow jersey. Well, I think that was a, that was a real big one. And then as far as what means a lot to me, like there's so many some of some of those wins are so gratifying when you go and recon a stage 3 months before and you explain to the guys what you what do you think is going to happen and then they go and pull it off that, that that's that's so rewarding uh, and uh, they're, they're great moments great great moments and i suppose one that brought me to tears last year was you know, we had such a bad run at the Tour de France with stage you know the last couple of years um you know, we, you know, like the year before when when Adam Yates had, had crashed uh, you know you know the stage where he was 5k from the finish crashed in the lead with an 18 second lead in front of al Philippe and now yep. my, or th- four days earlier Mikil Nieve got caught by garrett Thomas 400 meters from the finish yeah uh yeah you know, we had so many close calls and then it had been three years since we won a stage and you know Daryl's someone who I've you know, got a really good relationship with him he was the last guy we signed in 2012 to the team and I've always had a lot of faith in him believed that he could win some big races and He's been a guy that's always helped. He's been such an integral part of what we've won as a team, but he hadn't had that much individual success. Uh, and the stage that he won last year, you know, there was a stage we identified as, you know, in October when we saw the route. We went and re- looked at that course and then Daryl did the rest. And I think to have that monkey off our back at the start of like you know, stage nine of the tour, it was just such a relief, and I was just so happy for Daryl to get. You know, he he may never win another stage of the Tour de France again, and you know, for him to win that individual stage, uh, it just was like I, I just remember the moment when you know, you know, when we got in when the race was thinning out in that break of I think it was like seventeen guys at the start, then it thinned out to split in half, then there was nine, then there was three, then there was him and Tisch Benut, and uh, it was just such a like someone had popped the popped the balloon and all the air came out. It was just such a. <laughs> such a relief and then we just went on we just went on a roll from that and I think yeah. win- winning is contagious and we certainly were on a roll last year and then it was it was something very very special to be involved in
0: yeah I think I remember the stage well I was at the finish and um, the, the kind of scenes around I mean Daryl Himself was obviously anybody who wins a stage of the tour is going to be happy, but it, it was there's a real outpouring of joy. It was a quite a cathartic kind of moment, and 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 when you talk about it like that, when you look at the fact that you looked targeted that stage from October, there's a that's that's a lot of a build-up, isn't it? You know, and and to actually, to pull it off, you know, in in the Tour de France, and. Um, and how competitive the Tour de France is and how many things that can go wrong I mean that's the wonderful thing about pro cycling isn't it it's winning isn't easy and there's 200 riders in the field that's 200 different stories that intertwine and it's to actually pull something like that off with all that kind of planning I can understand why that must have been so so sweet for you
2: yeah definitely Uh, it is and and there's so many things Went right that day, and yes, and as we've seen in other in other cases, things can go wrong very easy. So it was it was
0: a great one to get under the belt for Daryl. Good stuff. Man. Well, I'm going to change the tone very yep. very slightly of of the uh, of the podcast so far, Matt. Just to uh, it's been extremely interesting. Um, we're going to um, roll on with some with basically a, a quiz about snacks. Um, I've been doing a, it's called Guess That Snack um, now what I'm going to ask you Matt is to is to stay focused I mean you are a very focused individual <laughs> are, are, you, are you a big fan of snacks
2: uh, I, I the only time I eat snacks is when I'm in a bike race because they're there okay. in the car <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. at home not so much at home I'm pretty good
0: but uh, at races, yeah, I'm a, I'm a glutton for punishment. Well, what I'm going to do, obviously, this year, there's no visuals here. You're going to have to use the power of your ears to try and recognize the snacks that I'm eating. I'm going to tell you what the snacks are, um, and then I'm going to take a bite from each one, and I'm going to ask you to guess which one it is. So we've got three snacks, okay? Mm-hmm. We've got some Pringles. Yep. You, you're obviously familiar with Pringles. I am, I am. Um, we've got some Popcorn. Mm-hmm. Just opening the bag now. Um, it's toffee-coated popcorn, so like a little okay. bit of coating on there, mate. Right. Okay. And we've also got some Cheetos. Okay. You, you, know, you know what Cheetos are, don't you? So yeah. we've got some Cheetos, uh, some Pringles, and some popcorn. And I'm just going to insert a little bit of a jingle um, just to break this up a little bit, mate. So just bear with me.
1: Guess that's that snack.
0: We have a broad variety of listeners who are interested in all things to do with cycling and things tangential to cycling as well, Matt. So, hence this little segment. So, first up, is it the popcorn? Is it the Cheetos? Is it the Pringles? Here we go, mate. Focus. Just inserting it now. Cheetos. Oh, straight off the bat, mate. Straight in.
1: Back of the net. Superb. Yeah, I mean, uh, any particular reason? Do you want to take us through your thinking there? Yeah, I, I, I was looking for the how long the
2: crunch lasted. Whether it was going to oh. be yeah. So with, well, I think it would if it was popcorn, it'd be probably a little bit crisper and not yep. as chewy. A bit okay. more chewy and not as. Yep. Uh, where and Pringles because they're not so dense, more of a clear snap.
1: Have you worked in the snack industry in the past, Matt? And you've not
0: told us. <laughs> <laughs> you sure? Right. Well. Well, you've got 100% so far. Uh, two to go. Next up is this snack. Is this a bit of popcorn or is this a Pringle? In it goes. Popcorn. Correct. 100% for Whitey. <laughs> oh, insane skills. And I'm just <laughs> I'm just telling you, folks, if you are listening and thinking this is he's actually got a video, we can see each other on video. We can't. This is purely done by sound. And just for the... Just for the record, oh, actually, do you want to talk talk us through that kind of um, how you came to that kind of thinking as well, Matt?
2: Yeah, again, l- listening to how long the crunch lasted. Uh, I yeah. think if you if you take a bite of the Pringles, I think it'll be more of a crisp snap yeah. into the cr- into the Pringles, whereas like uh, like like the
0: Cheetos popcorn yeah. has a bit of density which you have to gnaw through. Flipping it, mate. I mean, I've. I don't. I mean, we've had. I mean, <laughs> R- R- Rowan Dennis was good at this. Um, who uh, Thomas again wasn't so good. Um well, he like His he like, favourite sausages, anyway. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He likes some or something <laughs> a little more chewy, perhaps. Um, but yeah, we've had some random, so This is good. I mean, the final one. Th- this is a Pringle. So yeah, let's hear what it sounds like. Just, just for the record. Oh, there you go. Clean I snap. Mean, snap. A, a, yeah. This, it's, it's a quick reaction, isn't it? It doesn't yeah. warm for very long. I mean, tonally, completely different than the others. I mean, what I can do, mate, I can bag these up, give us your address when we're finished, and you can finish the snacks <laughs> off.
2: Mate, but Which, Spani- uh, mate, Spanish Post, by the time they get there, they'll be green, I reckon. <laughs> uh, you can,
0: we can share a pack next time we see it. at bike races. Definitely, mate, definitely. Well, 100% record there from Matt White And Guess, that snack, wow. snack, Snacks, Snacks. snacks, snacks fantastic skills there, Matt. I'm mightily impressed by your by your snack skills. But, um, Matt... That's marginal gains Australian style, mate. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, uh, you've clearly done your research <laughs> and I didn't even tell you in the email there was going to be a Guess That Snack round. No, you didn't. More, no. Which makes it even more incredible. It shows, I think, how adaptable you are to any given situation.
2: <laughs> oh, wait, my,
0: <laughs> you do have to be uh, a good multitasker in this role, that's for sure. You, you certainly do, mate. You certainly do. Now... What, what about outsider cycling, Matt? I mean, um, I know we, we I bumped into you. Well, I didn't bump into you. We rode past you. I was out on a, a training camp of, back in December, and you're out riding with um, one of your young sons, which was lovely to see before all this lockdown happened. But what actually – I know your thing is bike riding and being a manager of a team and a rider is – it's a way of life, isn't it? It's all consuming and you have to have a very understanding family. But what else are you into, Matt, outside of bike riding? What don't I know about you that you think I might be interested in, apart from snack skills?
2: Well, to be honest, I, I really am a, a little bit of a hermit um, in Spain. So obviously the, the world we live in when we're on the road, it's, it is all consuming. and you're, you're on for twenty hours, 19 hours a day and, you know, you're, you're – yeah, you know, my job, you're, you've you got to be available to the media all the time or your staff or yeah. your writers. Yeah. So it is very, very full on and intense. So when I come home, I live in a town by the beach and until, until my kids started to go to school, I've been here nearly 20 years now and uh, yeah. or, and uh, a lot of people don't – like the first – when I was an athlete living down here, uh, no, I didn't really hang out with too many people. I haven't got – I honestly haven't got too many friends here. I really, right. I really like – switching totally switching off hmm. and i most of the time i ride on my own if it's not with my young sons uh and i don't socialize too much here because it's I, I just it's like the polar opposite i just like my own time and time with my family when i'm here so I, i'm not really you know, my wife you know, my wife is obviously here all the time uh she looks after the kids one of the big blocks when i'm away and she's got a lot of friends and she's quite integrated into the community here whereas I, yeah. I'm, I'm not i, I really I really do like my own time. I'm such yeah, you know, and people see me as a real social person, a real people person, which I am. Yeah. But there's also a limit to that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, I, I don't really yeah. You went know, one on the road, usually 150 to 170 days a year. I don't want to go home and then talk about bike riding to to other people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. I, I I really like that difference, and I, I do. I could left. I could live anywhere. I, I still enjoy going to hotels. Yeah. Um. I could easily live – I grew up in Sydney, so I grew up in a, in a city. It is a very different city than what I grew up in. But I could easily live in downtown Barcelona or, or, or Valencia and and not you – know, Just I don't mind a bit of white noise, but yeah. uh, I also don't mind the, the tranquility of where I live where it's, you know, it's a town of 20,000, a beach town, um and yeah i can i can i can spend a day without talking to anybody or except my family and uh and that i can go about my business and not too many people really know who i am or what i do
0: yeah so do you i mean within that is there any is there there another world you like to like immerse yourself in are you into music or do you like film or is it just you just like time to just think and just relax and watch the world go by
2: so as far as my, my other world I, I've certainly got into television in the last two and a half months. Um, like we all laugh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I've watched more t- TV in the last two months and Netflix since then in the last 20 years. I usually – in my house, there's not too – sport, news channel, and yep. when my kids have got control of the remote, uh, cartoons, and they're yep. either in Spanish or in English. So not right. too much else gets on the box at my house. Uh <laughs> And in these last couple of months when we've had, you know, my kids haven't been to school since March 15th. They're not going back until September 9th. Wow. It it's, it's hasn't been easy. I, I, and luckily I don't live in an 80-metre square apartment because um, yeah. I would have killed three my kids by now. <laughs> but uh, it's been quite hard to entertain uh, three kids in, 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 in such a small environment. Like there were seven – it's not normal for kids not to go out of the house no. for seven
0: weeks. Exactly, exactly. So,
2: <laughs> you know, doing schoolwork with the kids in the morning, and, and we've watched, we, we've cracked. I mean, my my kids didn't have video games until s- six weeks ago.
0: <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> so you had did. to you, you had to succumb and get them we an cracked. iPad and some video we, games. We, yeah. We cracked.
2: I, I've I've we had some old computers, the you know, old computers of mine that we we got wiped and we rebooted, and we, we let the kids jump on for certain Windows, jump on YouTube, or they jump on and watch some stuff. If, if we wanted to watch a movie or something like that, we yeah. – Tell them to go to their room and watch YouTube. But we cracked. We, we just ran out of things to do with the kids. So we, we downloaded some games. And so they've got they've got some of their first video games. They, they thought we were weird that we wouldn't let them <laughs> have Fortnite or have these other games that every other kid's got or have a PlayStation or whatever. And uh, my, my kids, are, are all three of them, play a lot of sports. So, and that's yeah. all been cancelled. So, in a normal yeah. afternoon, or every, like six days a week, they're, they're at sport training. They play handball, European handball. They do athletics, they do swimming. My oldest one's gagging to start racing bikes, which I won't let him at the moment. He's a little bit young. But they're busy every afternoon. So you take that away, take school away, take sport away. That's that's a massive chunk of their the day not not around. So it's been
0: it's had its moments. Yeah, but, but are, are, are your kids uh, bilingual? So, were they uh, at Spanish school or are they English speaking schools? Or
2: no, they they're bilingual. My my wow. so my kids are That's six, eight, cool. and ten. Six, eight, and ten. Yeah, uh, t- two of the three were born here. The oldest one wasn't just because he was born in November and we were back in Australia. And their their first language is Spanish. So the we speak to them in English at home, but everything else in their life is Spanish or Valencian. So my six year old is only spent. Uh, he's only spent. So we he spent. We we got. We last week we went home for five weeks to Australia. So he's he's spent very in his six years he spent very little time to, in Australia. So Australia for him is something where his nanny, Nana and Poppy live, yeah. and that we get to go on an aeroplane to go to once a year. So he he actually he's he's when he speaks in English sometimes he he speaks incorrectly just because he's everything Spanish. So he, he'll say sometimes things backwards or right. Uh, that's my youngest one because he spent very little time in Australia. The two older ones, eight and ten, they speak perfect English, and obviously, just not because me and my wife speak Australian, they're, they're, their English is 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 like that. They don't speak with an accent. But yeah, they everything else, all their sport, all their school, they only do English once, one hour a week. So they're they speak better English than their actual English teachers. Uh, wow. But yeah, Spanish is their first language, and their Valencian and English, uh, they're they next to.
0: It is interesting the way the language has evolved and stuff and um, the kind of main language of the Peloton. But I, I do remember those days. Well, obviously, I only read one tour. But in the start Village, remember the start Village at the Duro when you just go and get a coffee and read, read Gazetta? And there used to be a little cluster of us, didn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you were there... Robbie McEwen was riding, I think, or at least it was in some of those rides. I think. Yeah. Was well, we had no bus sort of- to hide in. It was, it's pretty. Yeah. Camp- oh. It's
2: pretty cramped for sitting nine guys in the camper
0: van, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or sat on the, the sat on the boot of the car or something. Yeah. It yeah. It was really yeah. really different, but. I do remember those days um, in, in the in the village with a lot of fondness. Like you did have the little cliques and quite often on, on a stage that was kind of steady, there used to be a group of us at the back. It was basically a few Brits and generally a few Aussies and a couple of Yanks, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. Do you remember Shan McRae was, used to ride for Mapai, didn't he? There was He was one of the Americans that used to sit at the back there with us. But uh, they were good days, weren't they?
2: They were, they were. And, and yeah, boy boy, cycling's changed. And I, I suppose even from, from when I retired to – you know, when I, the reason I did retire is it was a great opportunity for me to, to segue out of race, racing into, into management and something I love to do. But there was you – no, know, back in – this is 12 years ago. So back in 2007, 2008, who would have thought that, that cycling would become so international? And in a, such a short period, it went from being a very, very Western European sport to what we've got now. Uh, yeah. And you know, who would have thought back then that there'd be no Italian world tour teams? Yeah, or one right, Spanish so. team. Yeah, uh, you know, Back then, you go to the Giro, and you know, half the field was Italian because there was there was eight to ten Italian teams.
0: Yeah, Some so t- I mean, it it, it yeah. The, the 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 kind of world cycling superpowers have just shifted around completely, haven't they? Now
2: they have. It is a lot more global, and uh, hopefully for those countries. Yeah, you know, obviously the the GFC had a big effect on Spain and Italy and and the the market there, and hopefully those those. Teams can come back, and we can we can see in the future an Italian team back in the top tier of world cycling, and a couple more t- Spanish teams as well.
0: Indeed. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna test. Uh, talking of, I mean, you've obviously got an, an almost an encyclopaedic knowledge of uh, of uh, the races you've done, the races your team have done. But I'm gonna test your knowledge now, mate. All right. Um, it's time for a Matt White quiz. Okay. Right. So I have to. Do, I'm, I'm sorry about this. I'm gonna to have to do another jingle. <laughs>
1: Quiz time, quiz
0: time, quiz time. Jesus Christ. See, there we go. Be, uh, <laughs> not, a ba- not a bad singer, really. You're very good you to hold your note. Yeah, right. Right. Cheers, mate. appreciate that. Um, that's the thing I like about it, mate. You, can, you analyse things in a lot of detail. You give things a lot of thought. Even your th- your, your kind feedback has got a lot of thought. Matt, <laughs> here we go. It's time for the quiz. There's only three questions, so nothing to get too worried about. Uh, but they are questions primarily about uh, your personal performances over the years as a pro. Right, so question number one. Okay. In 1999, you won a stage of the Tour of Switzerland solo by six seconds, I think it was. Can you tell me who finished that stage in second and third place? Ooh.
2: I reckon (laughs) it was... uh... Ah, oh, bloody hell! What's his name? Italian from Fasboll. Italian from uh, Giovanni Lombardi was in the top three. Who is another Italian from Rome? Oh, oh,
0: oh, oh. I can't think of his name. I take. Did you chip off from a? Did you chip off from a little breakaway by the looks I of did. it? I did. I, yeah. did. I
2: chipped off there was a, it was very bad break of 13 12 or 13 uh, yeah. and then I hit them on the last climb and then Eric, nice. Eric Decker Eric Decker Giovanni Lombardi and the Italian who I can't remember his name uh, I cl- I hit them just under a K to go
0: nice, uh, so nice. I can't
2: remember who I, I'm pretty sure Lombardi was there was in second or third and I can't remember the name of um, the
0: other Italian. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you, I mean, the fact that you remember it so well, obviously it was, um, I think it was, your, was it your first big victory, wasn't it? I think it was. It
2: was a stage from Switzerland into Liechtenstein, actually, the Vaduz.
0: There we go, mate. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, there there's a big break. I think Max Gianri was there as well. Max Gianri um, was in the initial
2: 13. Yep.
0: That's right. Uh, do you remember Ludo Dirksen's? He was there. God, he was yep. a powerful rider. Yeah. But the you've got, Giovanni Lombardi, Lombardi was there, but he was fifth in the end. He was fifth, okay. Yeah, but the rider who is second, I'll give you his first name, Roberto... Yeah. Uh, Petitio, Petitio. Uh, Roberto. Uh, yeah, Roberto
2: Petitio, yep, yep, from yep, Rome. He,
0: uh, and then Eric Decker was in and, third, and mate. So Eric I'm going to give you half a point okay, for that, so mate. Was that, was,
2: that, was, that the, was that the four ups? Was that the only guys who were left, was it? Those four? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so basically okay. you, you won. Six seconds uh, adrift was Petito and then Decker was with him and then uh, Paolo Valotti was at se- it was fourth and then Lombardi was just off the back oh, of so those guys. So
2: the, yeah. I know with a K to go, there was only three others. So that must have been Lombardi, Decker and, uh, and Petito. And then I've hit them a K to go, gone clear,
0: and then Lombardi must
2: have thrown the towel in when he knew he couldn't
0: he couldn't beat Indeed, me. mate. Well, there we go. Well, next question. Well, well done there, mate. I mean, that was, uh, it's always nice to look back and, and test your knowledge. But question number two. Okay. In two thousand and five you want a stage at the tour down under. You could say your uh, your home tour. Yes. Um do you remember where the stage started and where the stage finished?
2: Uh the stage
0: the stage finished definitely
2: in Handorf. Uh the stage start
0: No, I can't. I'm, uh- I'm hopeless with names, mate, but... Uh, I
2: can't. I, I, I can't. I know definitely he was a finish in handoff, and I know Robbie McEwen was second place, and I reckon maybe Nicholas Portal was third. He was definitely in the break, but uh, I can't remember who was third, but Robbie was definitely
0: second. He was indeed. He actually finished in Yank- Yankalila, it was the yeah. stage before that finished somewhere else, mate. No, so, now, I, now, or did it change?
2: No, no. I, I have seen that written in pro cycling stats. <laughs> And and you say <laughs> and it's wrong.
1: <laughs> All right. Okay. Fair this is the first time we've had a, a, a uh, an upset in
0: terms of the stats. I mean, I am. I know.
2: I know. I know Adelaide very very well, and uh, I, it was definitely finished in Handorf, wow, hundred percent. Right. It's a very very boutique uh, German town. Okay. And I and we go through there every year in Down Under, and I definitely definitely know that, that that was the finish. But I I don't remember the start. The start could be anywhere in, in that. Where, where does it say the start was?
0: Well, it says the start uh, was in Strathalbin. Um, Strathalbin, the it says. And then the stage before says it was Sterling to Handorf. And that was yeah. stage three, won by yeah. Luis Leon Sanchez, apparently. But yeah, we've... I mean, I'm happy to throw that up in the air, and maybe do a bit of research.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, uh, that's, de- that's, that's definitely wrong. Uh, we could... I, I think Strathalbin to St- the Handorf is... I remember which way we went through the hills. So that, I think they got the start town wrong. I reckon they might have... So they might have mistaked the finish towns from when Lewis Leon won and I won.
0: Okay, yeah, it says that they might have transposed it. I Means a long time ago, mate, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was well, all. Uh,
2: yeah, well, the, the the information I do, I do. It's like it's like a bit of a uh, pro cycling stats for me. It's something that I, I do spend a lot of time looking because I, I love I love stalking other riders. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and, you, and in recent years, you can't hide anything that you've done. So no, I, I love looking. I was only looking this morning at yeah. You know, the general trend of guys who have um, prepared for the Giro, and you look at the Grand Tours in general, and uh, yeah. and you know, most guys stop racing two to three weeks before, so they can have so they have plenty of time to recover. And if you look at last year's Giro, uh, the two two very successful riders from last year's Giro was obviously Roglic and Carapaz, and both those yeah. guys won races the weekend prior. Now that goes that very much goes again. I was looking at it this morning just to double check. So Carapaz won Walter Asturias. And Roger monopolised Romandy. Now that's that really both those those results really did buck the trend. You know, a a guy hasn't in the modern era. No one's won Romandy and then gone on to win the Giro. Okay, Roger didn't either, but he certainly gave himself a big crap. Now usually Romandy was a preparation race back in the day. It was a preparation race for the Giro, so you wouldn't go out there to try to win it. Uh, and then yeah. try to win the Giro. And then, you know, winning races. Yeah, usually, guys are, are locked, locked up in, wrapped up in cotton wool for the weeks yeah. prior to a grand tour. And those two certainly did buck the trend. And the information, and I love scrolling through pro cycling stats and seeing what other guys do, they did last year or what they're doing. And I think the, the Pro Cycling stats just gets a little bit cloudy when you talk about ancient history.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <'Cause> it, <laughs> I mean, we just come out of black and white back then, didn't we, mate? In, uh, in 2000, I think we were just emerging out of the Stone Age. And I think in, it's very hard to find any actual uh, digital pictures from back then. And funnily enough, I was scrolling through trying to find some old pictures of me and you from... Uh, from that duo, and I did find I didn't find any of us together but I did find a um, a few of you in Casa Grande and stuff there's some there's some really old cool stuff it's amazing the kind of stuff that's still out there on the internet mate but uh, it's, no, because it's,
2: it's because I I've I've, gotten, I've also got nothing from that that era in my career either I have I'm not a big I think I've taken one role of film since I left Australia in 1992 and that was wow. for, and that was for Junior Worlds and I think I didn't have a camera since but I'm I'm really not uh, like I haven't got in my in my office I haven't got jerseys, yeah pink jerseys and yellow jerseys and medals and and trophies. I'm no. not a real nostalgic sort of a guy um, yeah like my, yeah my wife's an Olympic bronze medalist and I don't think don't no, think she knows where a bronze medal is. It's certainly not in Spain um, wow. <laughs> so I'm, not, I'm not a uh, I'm not a real nostalgic sort of person but I would love I'd love to see some stuff of the of my career I just haven't got it. I haven't got any photos of anything, unless people send them to me so
0: I'll have to dig some out mate and, uh, and punt you punt you some across because we'll uh, we'll try and dig a few out that we can use to uh, promote this podcast when it comes out next week mate but um, no so that's the first time actually that one of my quiz questions has led into a separate discussion so that's, that's, a, that's a that's a cheeky bonus right there anyway final <laughs> question for the, the rather prolonged and elongated and um, and challenged Matt White quiz is this it's question number three it's a very simple question. There's only two answers to it, Matt, and, and here we go. Stage 11 of the 2000 Giro d'Italia was an individual time trial of 42 Ks from uh, Lignano to Bibbione, and I think the following day was a rest day because I remember it very, very well indeed. My question to you is we both finished in these places. So one of us finished 154th at 8.28, and one of us... Finished 120 seconds at 7:07, which was you, and which was me.
2: <laughs> I, I think I think I, even though I was not a bit of a time more of a time trial s- specialist, I remember I was on my hands and knees. I think I'll go for the eight minutes for myself.
0: Correct, mate. You were 154th <laughs> at 8:28, <8.28, laughs> and I was an astounding 120 second at 7:07. Yeah. Oh, mate, yeah. flipping egg. I mean, that's. The, I mean. Looking actually that year, looking at again, trolling through, um, scrolling through pro cycling apps, you had some pretty solid results in t- individual time trials, didn't you? In, uh, you had a good one in Romandy, had a yeah. solid one in the, in the prologue of the Jira. But when you you're know, doing I that, Tour
2: Switzerland, Tour of Switzerland, the year be- the, year, the day before I won, I think I finished fourth in the time trial behind Ekimov and some really good time trialers. So yeah, I, I was national time trial champion. But I, I remember really losing morale to time trolling just be- for a couple of reasons. One. The Italian teams, I, I, did, I didn't. They wouldn't even allow me to have a time trial bike at home.
0: Oh my god! Right, so yeah, that, it was yeah.
2: It sort of makes life hard. And the other one is when you when you go into GC teams, unless you're able to win these time trials, no one cares who finishes eleventh in a TT, exactly, mate. especially if you yep. haven't got a TT, haven't seen your TT bike for a month. Yeah. And exactly. so I real I really started to, and the, the more I went into GC teams, I, I really started to just use TTS as recovery days.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Which, which is a shame because you lose – obviously, I had some talent in the time trial area, but I just I just totally forgot about it. And, you know, when you haven't got a TT bike to practice on at home and you're actually, and also you're on pretty average TT equipment, uh, there was a big disparity between good equipment and bad equipment back in the day. I just sort of really lost morale with, you know, why, why bust, my, bust myself to finish 11th or 15th in a TT when I can just use it as a, as a rest day?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do remember – Thinking exactly the same thing. I was on my hands and knees after crashing on day two. Anyway, just trying to get through stage by stage, um, and just. But it's just about that striking that balance of um, of finishing the stage within the time limit and knowing the rough average speed that you've got to go at really, isn't it? So, you know, riding it almost like sweet spot or just below uh, and finishing. But um, yeah, I think there's a fine art to measuring your effort, especially in relation to the amount of work that you were doing as a domestique in that race as well. I mean, uh, like you said, for me, that time trial was a day off. And, and actually remembering that was the only time I'd been on my TT bike since the prologue, oh, no, since the, the TT in Romandy. Uh, I'd been on um, my TT bike three times that year. And that, yeah. that was the way it was back then. If you weren't a TT specialist, you just ju- jumped on it. And I remember, do you remember the turn in that tw- in that forty two k time trial? It's basically a U turn in the road. I do. I do. It was like a cone, wasn't there? It was like I this do. long straight road. Out oh, yeah, <laughs> my Yeah, like out of it. And, uh, There was a guy standing there with a flag. We we turned around. The it uh, did a U turn, and I got out the saddle and hit my knee on my tri bars so hard. And I just remember I couldn't I could only just about average thirty nine K an hour on the run on the run back in. It was awful. But um it just, there, just I mean
2: these days every single rider would have it like even our even our non time trial guys have got a time trial bike at home to yeah. get around on, you know? So it's, yeah, yeah. Times have certainly changed.
0: No, they certainly have, mate. But Matt, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, we could have easily chatted for a couple of hours. Maybe next time we'll, we'll do another. Um, we'll just maybe talk about TV programs next time, mate. That would be good. <laughs> the two Matts chat TV. Maybe that will be um, what we do next. But Matt, it's been been delightful. Um, hopefully, we will see each other on the road later this year. There's no certainly no guarantees on that, mate. But um, really good to talk, talk to you, and uh, and thanks so much for your time, mate.
2: No, it was it was a pleasure, Matt, and uh, yeah, let's let's hope for the sake of cycling that we can get some some of our calendar back on the road this year because I, I just don't think it's going to be very a very good situation for many many teams if uh, if 2020 is uh, the last race was uh, was nice
0: No, no, definitely not. Well, it's f- fingers crossed, mate, and uh, and let's hope that uh, we've still got a bit of time. There's still a few months away before the the proposed calendar starts. Let's hope there's going to be some big changes uh, for the better, mate. But uh, yep, catch up with you soon, mate, and thanks again. Oh, thank you. The month of May means one thing to me and many people Giro time Throughout the month so far I've been pining for some Grand Tour action and actually got a bit sad thinking about how ordinarily I'd be commentating on all the hard work on the Stelvio Fenestra, or Zoncalan but then I thought why not use my talents to commentate on another kind of big effort This is the Grand Chores Stage 1 Hoovering the stairs Okay Grand Chores Stage 1 Hoovering the stairs I've had a bit of a warm up done a few lunges in the kitchen. Uh, I'm gonna be using a Dyson wireless V7 motorhead. Uh, you of course can use whatever you have to hand in at the house. Uh, three floors, um, we've got a uh, long run in, across essentially the valley road, the wooden floor leading to the first set of stairs. Then we've got a bit of a hairpin, a kicker, a little mezzanine, then a bit of a false flap plateau before the road well the stairs then really do rise up upwards of 17 percent gradient to the top and the last section is extra tough because it's carpeted meaning that there's going to be a lot more resistance and of course well on the third floor you're going to be at altitude as well so the air just that little bit thinner so you're really going to need to measure your effort so here we go
1: got it on max suction as well just for that uh added sucking power already on the stairs here using that pivot head to good effect. Got my hand lower down the shaft to give it that extra little bit of stability. And I'm making short work of these stairs the chair is looking very very shiny. That dust is sucked up through the tube into the main chamber and already I'm on the first floor I made very short work. Got a good bit of momentum on the valley and now I'm up to the first mezzanine, just little at the kicker, this is quite steep here. You need to know what you're doing, lucky it had that good warm up straight over the top, that was quite easy. Now I'm going to need to take a bit of a breath it. and just looking ahead at what's to come, the road really does kick up. And this is where we hit the carpet, this is the final ascent to the line, on the carpet now. About to knock it down a couple of gears. It's really difficult to get your lungs full of air up here because of the rarefied atmosphere, and it's that little bit more difficult as well to pivot the head round because the added friction, the added resistance on the carpet. But making good work of it, and now I can just see to the top. There's one more little bit of a false plateau, false flat. shall I say before the road kicks up one more time? I can see the finish line now. On the final flat section before the road rears its head this is where the gradient is 15 to 20 percent last two steps now pivot turn turn pivot pivot turn one more time i can see the orange jump i can see the piano I'm there oh job
0: done well another very enjoyable podcast comes to a close and don't forget you can ask me anything you want to you I oh, what's the hashtag by the way niall <laughs> sorry mate i've forgotten you think i'd be able to cope with remembering that wouldn't you Okay, right. Well, another very enjoyable podcast comes to an end. But don't forget, you can ask me anything next week by using the hashtag #AskMatt. And that only leads me to thank Matt White. Great conversation. Always good to chat to him. He's a top lad. Thanks very much indeed.
2: Yeah, thanks, Matt.
0: You're right, mate. You're, st- you're still there. You sound a bit down.
2: Yeah, I'm just uh, just reminiscing that loss of the time of the financial bonus from the Giro zero two thousand mate. I'll get over it soon. I'll get over it soon, mate.
0: Oh. Alright, mate. Um, Anything I can do, just just give me a shout. Sorry about that, mate.
2: If I see one more Stefano Garzelli winning the Giro 2000 gig, I'll, I don't know what I'll do. Oh,
0: sorry about that, mate. Uh, maybe you could cheer yourself up by getting £25 cash back when you buy a Wahoo Element Bolt at Sigma Sports. Just visit sigmasports.com forward slash podcast. Anyway, a big thanks to everyone for listening and, of course, to Perry App Gwyneth for the immense music thanks to everyone as well who submitted their ask matt questions and please do keep them coming on twitter now if you're enjoying this podcast please rate and subscribe and why not share it with someone in your life who enjoys all things tangential to cycling thanks again for listening everybody i'll see you again next week
1: but for now goodbye